culture. It's a different currency. Indeed, it feels like it's an entirely different part of the world. And this is several years into our marital relationship. And, you know, we're well established and we have children. And we've been through our first ministry experience. And I remember the transition and thinking about all the options that were available and what God had called us to do and how that was seen, watching how that played out. And throughout that process, I thought, you know, at some point I'm going to have to tell her mom and dad, (laughs) you know, like I asked for her hand a long time ago and they said yes. And that's been going pretty well so far, but I never really asked to take her to the other side of the world. (laughs) And when they're thinking, you know, son-in-law and grandkids and stuff like that, what they're thinking is eventually you move back closer to home and we enjoy our grandchildren and you take care of us in, you know, the, the sunset time of our life. Well, sure enough, my next news to them is I'm going to move your daughter and your grandkids to the other side of the world. And I'm thinking about how this is going to go with dad and Mom, and I'm praying about it, and I, and I remember that conversation very stink, distinctly on the phone as I, as I called and I was talking to Mr. Cannon, uh, Judd is his first name, and I, I was saying, you know, uh, Judd, I'm, you know, as you know, we've been praying heavily about where the Lord would have us to go, and there's a lot of options, but ultimately we believe it's God's will for us to go to British Columbia. And there's kind of this silence on the phone, <laughs> this, this dead spot. And, you know, my father-in-law is a really neat guy. He's very even-tempered, even-keel, very gentle. He's the last guy in the world that ever get angry. So that's assuring me as we go through this process as well, right? And I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm waiting. And he says to me this, I remember it very distinctly. He says, well, Jeremy, if the Lord goes before you, and we think he does, then everything's going to be okay. I was just like, ah, thank you so much. I mean, man, did that mean a lot to me. And I remember that, I mean, that quote carried me all the way through. There were all kinds of adventures along the way, let me assure you, both good and bad. And the Lord carried us through. It was an amazing experience, and I looked back that whole way, ended up printing out the verse in Joshua where that's assured to him as well, and, and put it on like the front of the folder that I carried with me every day, and just trying to remind myself of that promise, that if God goes before you, if God goes with you, then everything will be okay. Today, as we look at Psalm 23, I think Judd's message to me is God's message to you. I think I can say with confidence, in fact, I know that if the Lord goes with you, if the Lord is before you, then everything will be okay. So if you have your Bibles, then I'd invite you to turn to that very familiar psalm, one in which many of us know by heart, perhaps we learned as a little kid, perhaps we saw it in a movie, heard it at a funeral, whatever. This is a familiar psalm. And so you can watch up, up on the screen. You can follow in your Bible. You can close your eyes. You can mouth it with your lips, however you want to read or hear this psalm. As we read, perhaps one of the most familiar texts in the entire Bible. This is the 23rd chapter or the 23rd psalm, a psalm written and composed by King David. 
It goes like this, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Psalm 23. It's called, uh, The Lord is My Shepherd by many of us. In some ways, I think I would title this song, uh, psalm, if I retitled it, I would simply say Emmanuel. That is, God is with us. God is with us. And so the way we're going to look at this psalm today is basically in three movements. Um, the first being this, is that, number one, the Lord is my shepherd. Number two, the Lord is with me. And number three, if those first two things are true, and I assure you that they are, and I'll show you today, then therefore, number three, therefore everything's going to be okay. If, if the Lord is truly my shepherd, and if the Lord is really with me, then everything is going to be okay. So let's look at the first one then, the first point, which is the Lord is my shepherd. This psalm is driven by two metaphors. They are stories or analogies, if you will, ways of speaking in other terms in order to communicate a point. So in this psalm, we know it mostly as, you know, the shepherd psalm or the Lord is my shepherd. And I would say, of course, that's the most familiar. But this also has a second analogy in the latter half, beginning in verse five. It's a six verse psalm. But beginning in verse five, it switches from the shepherd analogy to that of a supper. And so, I would say to you, we're going to focus mostly on the shepherd today, but let us not forget the supper as well. In other words, this is the Lord's Supper, if you will. This is the Lord's Supper psalm. Two analogies. Last night, I was speaking with my oldest child before he went to bed, and we were going through this psalm, and we were enjoying learning about it. And... It's interesting to try to explain the supper analogy because he's, he's reading these things and he's like, you know, sh- you know I, the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, my cup overflows. And I said to him, well, what do you think it means that your cup overflows? You know, this is a story, this is an analogy. And we were talking about it and I was like, this is kind of like a birthday dinner, you know? We're pretending that God is kind of like mom at this point. And she's preparing for you your very favorite meal. And he's like, yeah, and with ice cream. And I'm like, yeah, and with ice cream. And maybe that's your cup. And your cup is just overflowing with ice cream. And he's like, yeah, ice cream that's good for you, that you can eat as much as you want of, and it's like vegetables. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. So if you need some help today on this analogy, just think of it as ice cream. Your cup overflows with as much of it as you want that's good for you like vegetables. 
there you go. You see, what it is, this psalm, is, is, is part of its beauty and its eloquence is not that it is an extended 500-page treatise on the moral implications of the theological prepositions of the whatever of whatever of God, you know? This is a short, terse, concise, simple analogy that anybody can understand. And yet, even being so, it still expresses some of the most profound and incredible mysteries of the profound love of an infinite and perfect and righteous God. How does a creator who is ultimate, who is completely free of any need whatsoever, who could simply obliterate us and be entirely happy on his own, actually still love us and want to be with us? How does that work? What kind of formula or incredible function do we need to come up with to explain that? There is nothing complex enough to represent that relationship. And yet, here we have it in a few simple words in terms of a sheep and a shepherd. So today we imagine ourselves as sheep and God as our shepherd. And this is the beauty and charm of this psalm. Those of us who have some agrarian experience raising livestock, which is not me, will surely get this. And those of us who don't will as well. That God loves us as a shepherd to his sheep. It's also fitting and appropriate because it gives us the idea that life is a pilgrimage. No, in other words, a pilgrimage is what? It's a journey. It is saying to you that there is an ultimate destination, but you're not there yet. And you've got to go along this path along the way, and there's going to be danger, and there's going to be ups, and there's going to be downs. And you don't really know what it's going to be like. And you need someone, you need a shepherd, you need a guide to go along and walk with you so that through this incredible journey, you ultimately arrive at the intended destination for your soul. That is the idea of a sheep and a shepherd. He's taking them from one place to another. And that's assuring to us because we can look at our lives and say, I know, I am not there yet. No way. There's all kinds of things I need to work on, things I want to fix, and we are definitely not there. And yet, through this journey, we have a shepherd who is leading us safely along. So here's the analogy that this psalmist is using, and I think I'd like to explain it to you Perhaps in terms that I think of, having uh, lived some time in Minnesota, which is the home of the well-known fisherman Babe Winkleman, and also having grown up in Springfield, Missouri, which is the home of Bass Pro. So knowing no better way to explain it myself, I assure you there will be some deep parts of this sermon, but I also want to include a little analogy as well. In keeping with the text, it is this. We're new to the area, and we're learning about all the exciting new stuff. And, of course, everyone's like, hey, have you seen the Tridge? Have you seen the Titabawasi? Have you done this? Have you done that? And initially, my answer is no, and I don't really know when that's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to go, because I don't want to just walk down to some river, put in a canoe, and hope that I come out at the right spot. I don't know how that's going to go. So I'm going to wait for a little bit and just see if I can figure things out. So one day, what happens is this. This guy calls me. 
by the name of Eric Johnson. Eric, are you here? Wave at me somewhere if you're here. I had permission. He's probably out fishing today. Good grief. Oh, wait, there he is. Sorry. My bad. Okay, he's listening. (laughs) Okay. So if you know Eric, you know that he works at a fishing supply company. And what that means is his contacts are like professional fishermen. So he knows the real deal, right? And I enjoy sports. I, I, I enjoy the outdoors. I grew up in these areas which are very outdoorsious. But my dad was very busy with his different careers growing up, so I didn't get to go doing a lot of this stuff. So I'm not real great at it, although I think I am and would really like to be. So here I am thinking, okay, am I a fisherman? No, not really. But do I like to fish? Well, yeah, if I go with somebody who knows how. If there is somebody who happens to know exactly what to use, where the fish are, when to go, where to get in the river and where to get out, then I am all in, you know, lead me to the promised land. You bet, baby, I'm in, you know, I don't want to go sit down on the river all day long for, you know, four hours and cast into the mud and catch nothing and come home grumpy and tired and sunburned and hot and having wasted my whole day. If I want to do that, I can just go to the farmer's market, spend five bucks, buy a fish and come home, right? No reason to do that. But if I have someone who knows what they're doing, then I'm all in. So all of a sudden, Eric Johnson, who's a pretty cool guy, he gives me a call and he says, hey, Pastor Jeremy, are you interested in going fishing? I said, like, well, let me check with my wife first. I go to my wife and I say, honey, Eric Johnson wants to take me fishing. And she's like, all right, you might catch something. I'm like, yes, you're right, maybe I will. So, so sure enough, I say, yes, Eric Johnson, take me fishing. And like I said, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know this river. I've never been there before. But he shows up, canoe on the top of his, you know, cab. And, and we go and he goes exactly to the right spot. And he's a nice guy. So he's, you know, not fishing himself. He's just paddling along in the back of the boat. And he's saying, Pastor Jeremy, here's what you do. Uh-huh. You ready? Now, I just got done telling you I'm not a very good fisherman. You think I can do this? There's Eric Johnson right over there, all right? We're going to see how well he taught me. I'm going to try to put it right next to him, okay? (laughs) All right. Here we go. So what's happening is Eric's like, you throw it here, you throw it there, and if you you hit it right there, you're going to catch a fish, because he knows where the holes are, all right? So this is what I'm doing. I'm grabbing my pole. I'm like, okay, what do I do, Eric? All right. Now, Pastor David, the insurance policy is all paid up, right? Good. (laughs) If not, we'll take an offering. Guys on the outside, close your eyes. <laughs> Here we go. You ready? All right, right down the middle. Oh, a little too far. That's not bad, though. Okay. There we go. All right. Now, Eric would tell you how to bring it in. And if you do it just right, all of a sudden, bang, you might catch one, right? And if you guys are pretending that you're fish, I'm in the right spot. Because I'm right here in the middle of the fish. Now, I'm not going to try that twice because we got it right once. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Right? All right. So that's what I would do if I was fishing with Eric Johnson. I would cast it exactly where he told me, exactly how he told me. And chances are I would catch a fish. And what I want you to get from that analogy, when you think about this week that the pastor, yes, threw a fishing line in the middle of the service, I want you to remember this, that 
the quality of your experience depends upon the quality of your guide. Okay? The quality of your experience depends upon the quality of your guide. If you go and you get a lousy guide, you're going to have a lousy experience. But if you get the guy who's been down the river a thousand times and he knows all the spots, he knows all the holes, he knows what to use when, he knows what's hatching and what's flying and what's the best and this and that, then you're in the right boat. Then you're going to have a highly, highly successful trip. And that, my friends, I would say to you is also the message of Psalm 23. When the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, hey, I've got the best guide you can possibly imagine. I've got a good guide. He knows the ins and outs. He knows all the holes. He knows exactly where we're going. He's been in this place before. I'm completely ignorant. I'm totally dependent on him. Yet I am jumping in with both feet into his boat and trusting him to take me, to get me where I need to go. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my guide. Now, before we go even further in that, there's the fishing analogy. But let me give you another a little insight here for those of you who are like, well, give us something deeper, Pastor. Here we go. Ready? We read through this really fast. We read through the psalm and we go, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But if you were reading through it and I wanted to go in depth with you, you would start out and you would say, the Lord, and I'd say, stop. The Lord? What do you mean? You say, well, you know, the Lord, like, Lord bless you, you know, Lord this, Lord that. No, hold on, hold on. This word here, if you look at your Bible, you'll see oftentimes they'll put it in all caps. And the reason is because the word underlying this is the covenantal name Yahweh, God himself. The first name that God revealed to Moses on the mountain when he said, Who am I? I am that I am. I am the covenantal God who is merciful and gracious, you'll see these terms in here, who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, keeping his covenant from generation to generation. Aha! So he is, a, he is a, connecting his name to his character. He is connecting his name to his character. So the shepherd feature is not just a simple story, but is instead connected to a contractual agreement. In other words, because of the covenant, God has legally bound himself to his people in an unconditional and eternal and unbreakable and unchangeable way. This is not, hey, I feel like I'm going to be nice to you today. This is, if you remember, when I called out Abraham, I said to you, I am going to bless you and make you a great nation. When I called out, in fact, David, who's writing this psalm, he's saying, I am going to give you these great promises and you're going to receive this kingdom. And this kingdom will have a king on whom will sit, the throne, on, whom will sit on the throne and the kingdom will never end. There is the Davidic covenant. There is the... Um, Abrahamic covenant, there is all these contractual terms wrapped up in this single name which assures us of the eternal fidelity of the giver. So it is an incredible term that begins this psalm, and if you watch it, in fact, ends the psalm too. Starts out with the Lord, and then the end it says, I will dwell in what? The house of the Lord forever. In other words, it's an inclusio. 
This whole thing is wrapped up in God's eternal covenant with mankind. So it's this beautiful, beautiful imagery that the Lord is bringing about. He's saying, I'm your guide, I'm your shepherd. But not just for a day. I'm, I'm not some, you know, like, you know, hired hand. I'm the one who's eternally committed to the well-being of your soul. That's a big deal. This covenantal contractual agreement of God to his people. Now, that's the Old Testament. I talked about the, you know, Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Now, what about us, though? We're in the New Testament or the New Covenant, so now there is a new agreement. And when you flip the pages of your Bible, and all of a sudden you come to the New Testament, and you start reading letters in red, and this guy who's leading these sheep or these flocks of people all of a sudden comes along and says, I am the good shepherd. And who or what is he identifying himself with? Yahweh himself. He is in effect saying, I am that shepherd. You were promised by covenantal contractual agreement that God would go with you. Guess what? Here he is. That's me. Did Jesus ever claim to be God? Yeah, I think so. Here's one. Prophecies in Isaiah says that when the Messiah comes, he will shepherd his people. Then Jesus comes and says, I am what? A good shepherd. Yahweh identifies himself as a shepherd. Jesus identifies himself as a shepherd. What is he saying? What is he doing? He's saying, I'm God. I'm it. Here I am. I am here to lead and to guide you. And it's such a cool imagery because then all the stuff that's true of the Old Testament people, in a sense, becomes true of us. As they were led through the wilderness on their journey, guess what we are as well? We're led through our own wilderness and our own journey. And guess what their obligation was? To follow the shepherd. Guess what our obligation is? To follow the shepherd. Now, what would happen if I went out on that fishing trip and Eric Johnson's like, hey, Jeremy, you see all these fish over here? I guarantee you these, this is where to cast it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Hold on, Eric. I got this. I'm a pretty good fisherman. Watch this. I think there's fish over here. I'm walking over to the other side of the boat, and it's starting to wobble a little bit. I'm like, wham! And I cast it way out there. I almost get the usher. All right. (laughs) There we go. And I start bringing it back in, and all of a sudden, I'm snagged on a tree, or I'm hitting a rock, or I'm in the wrong spot, and I'm pulling over the canoe, and he has to bring it to the side and say, you know, um, I think the fish are over here. What am I doing? I'm not listening to the shepherd. I'm not listening to the guide. I'm just casting my line wherever I want. And I'm getting nothing. I'm getting hung up. I'm getting snagged. I'm losing my lure. I'm breaking my line and things are going bad. Why? Because I'm not listening to the guide. Look, ladies and gentlemen, it's on you to listen to the guide. The guide can tell you where to go and what to do and how to catch it. But if you ain't listening, it just doesn't matter. The good shepherd is there to guide you, but it's not on your terms, it's on his. You've got to listen to the guide. That's part of the covenant, that's part of the contract, that's part of the agreement. Yes, he's committed himself unconditionally to you, but you are not going to have any luck or any success if you're just casting willy-nilly wherever you want. Nothing's happening then. He says, cast here, you need to cast there. Like, no, I think I can do it some other way. Good luck. Good luck. (laughs) Good fishing then. See how it goes for you. 
Now, look, this is what I'm saying today. Essentially, is this. Are you ready? Eric Johnson's the god of the river. (laughs) (laughs) What I mean is, he knows where you put in, right? He knows where to drop the canoe. He knows exactly where he's going to take it out. And guess what? When you start your life, God knows where you're put in, and he knows where he's going to take you out. And that's your journey down the river. And you got a choice. Along this path, am I going to listen to the guide or not? Am I going to cast where he tells me to cast, or am I going to cast somewhere else? I think it's going to go better with him or better with me. Which one? And if you follow God and his design and plan for your life, it's going to go well for you. Now, I need to make some very clear disclaimers at this point. Hey, what do I mean when I say it's going to go well for you? Well, what does that mean? You can hear me coughing and choking this morning. You'll never get sick, right? Pastor Jeremy, I think you need to preach on the prosperity gospel a little bit more. It's not working for you. You're getting sick, right? You will get sick and you might even go broke. But what I mean is not that it'll always go well in the sense we think, well, every relationship's going to work, my health is going to be perfect, my job and my career are just going to soar to great new heights. What I mean by well is essentially that God will get you to where you need to go. Okay, this is a journey. There are going to be bumps along the way. Things are going to be difficult. And yet God will get you to the desired end. He will take you out at the right spot. And then everything will be well. So I jumped ahead a little bit there, but let me, let me give you some um, examples of what I mean. Say you're, say you're moving down the river, right? And you're looking, you're looking for guidance from your shepherd. You're like, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to cast. I don't know what to do. Lord, please show me your way. What does that look like in real life? What I would say to you is this, is that basically what you have for your guide is this. You have biblical revelation, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the wisdom of the fellow Christian community, and then ultimately you have in mind your ultimate goal, moral values, and final destination. So what the Lord gives you is a strategic, high-level directive rather than specific individual tactics. This is the 30,000-foot view, if you will. He's saying, hey, this is where I'm trying to lead you. This is the idea that you be conformed to the image of my son. And as a result, you're going to go down this path. Now, he doesn't give you a lot of exact specifics along the way. And you may say, hey, Lord, man, that's no fair. I want specifics. But in a way, it's actually better Because you are given the individual freedom to make these decisions based on his design for you, your life, and your preferences, so long as you fall within the general umbrella of his guidance. Wow, okay, so what's that mean? Well, let me give you an example. Who should I marry, right? I already got that one figured out, don't worry. But, and many of you may as well, but if you're asking yourself that question, even if you're not, let me give you an example of how to walk down that path of the Lord's guidance, who should you marry? So, what does the Bible tell you? Does it give you a name, Bob, Susie, Joe, whatever? No. What it does is this. Now, perhaps you'll disagree, but I want to show you some Bible verses. Um, The first thing the Bible tells you is that you need to to marry a believer. Here's 1 Corinthians 7.39. 
It's talking about a specific situation, but the principle overall is the same. And also there's another verse which some people argue about, unequally yoked, but ultimately you get this principle, is that when you marry, the important thing is to do so only in the Lord, that you marry someone who is a believer. Now, some of us may say, okay, good, I'm good with that. I think the person I like, you know, talks about God sometimes, maybe, kind (laughs) of. And what, what this text is saying is like, not just talks about God or pretends or is nice and friendly, but a real believer, a genuine believer. In other words, you want to marry someone who is mature, solid, and really committed to their faith. They're not perfect, I'm not saying, but they're someone the Bible tells us, hey, this person is for real. They're not someone that's just doing it to attract you, but they really, really believe this. You in the picture or somebody else, it wouldn't matter. That's what they're doing. Now, let me say this as another disclaimer. Some of us may have married unbelievers or whatever. This does not mean you ditch what you got and go look for a new one. You dance with the one who brought you, okay? Stay with what you're with and pray for their soul, and perhaps God will lead them to himself through you. But that is not the purpose of dating, okay? So the Bible gives us this one directive. It doesn't say marry Bob, Susie, or Joe. It says Be committed to someone who is a believer. Then it also tells you very clearly in Genesis, also this person should be of the opposite sex. Okay, whatever you are, you find something that you're not, and you pair with that. Okay, that's the way it works. So Genesis 1, Genesis 2, also Jesus. All right, so marry a believer, marry someone of the opposite sex, and um, find someone, this would be my advice as well, is, Find someone who's committed to an eternal relationship, someone who is not going to leave you when um, they don't feel, you know, like loving you. Someone who's committed to you no matter what, when you get Alzheimer's, when you get sick, when you get paralyzed, whatever, they're still there, okay? So, a believer, opposite sex, in someone who's committed. Now, that's still very, oh, good job. I just saw somebody kissing. That's right. And they're like, hey, you do that. See, Pastor Jeremy just put that bar right there. You can hit that, man. If you're here this morning, you can hit that. All right. Good. I'm glad to see that. So here we are. Here's, here's the bar. We can raise it as high as you want, but ultimately you need at least these things. And within that, the Bible says, okay, now it's up to you. Now you have freedom to decide. If you like brunettes, fine. If you prefer blondes, whatever. That guy's too short. He's too dumb. He's not classy. Whatever. That's up to you. The Bible doesn't get specific about that. It just says these few things. So there is your guidance. Follow the guide and go with it. Look, the Lord gives us freedom and he gives us direction as well. And it all comes together in this beautiful way in which we check the Bible. We pray. We check the Holy Spirit. We speak to our friends, we check with others, and then we move forward in faith. And we believe him and say, Lord, you know what? This is the information I have at the time. These are the specifics you've laid out. I'm trying to follow those now at this point. It's on you. Lead away. You're the shepherd. Let's go. That's it. Now, just like with marriage, so too with life. You know, you're going to come to these forks in the road where you're like, man, I don't know what to do. And the Bible doesn't say go left or go right. 
It doesn't say buy this car or buy that car. It doesn't say buy this house or buy that house. It doesn't say go to this school or go to that school. It doesn't say take this job or take that job. It doesn't say any of that. So what do you do? Well, you look at the moral guidelines that God has given you and the ultimate purpose for your life. You make sure you're within that. You pray about it. You talk to others. And then you make a decision and you step out on faith. And then you don't look back. And you trust that the shepherd is there to guide you. Because he said, hey, get in the canoe, grab your life jacket, hold on to the pole, and let's go. And as long as you did that, you're good. He's going to be the one making the strokes and turning the, turning the boat, okay? So you follow and you trust. And that's what you do. And don't second guess, don't shoulda, coulda, woulda, just go and trust the shepherd. That's the way it works. The Lord is your shepherd. When there's forks in the road, what do you do? Move forward like that. And he will make you lie down in green pastures. He will direct you where you need to go. He leads you beside the still waters. He restores your soul when you make a wrong turn. He brings you back. And he leads you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know what the paths of righteousness are? The right path. He will lead you down the right path. So the Lord is your shepherd. He makes, he leads, he restores, he guides you the way you should go. The Lord is your shepherd, number one. Number two, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. This last week, our family had the chance to watch this movie called um, Dolphin Tale. And it's about, you know that film? It's about this dolphin who comes out of the water and then is rescued and saved and everybody comes together and goes, woohoo, in the end, yay, it's a great story. So, spoiler, there you go. But it's a simple story and the nice thing is you can watch it with your kids, you don't have to worry about it, it's pretty fluffy, you know where it's going to go, whatever. But the thing that I want you to take away from it today is this, is look, fish are designed to be in water, right? They do not survive out of the water. They need to be in the water. Well, so too with human, human beings or humanity in the presence of God. We were designed in his image and therefore we are to be in him. And if we are not in him, then we suffocate and die. And we need rescued. And we are washed up on shore and we are in big trouble if someone doesn't grab us and put us back in. And we may even be tangled up in some sin or tangled up in a net and we can't escape and we need the Savior to come in and cut us free and let us loose because we're designed to be in Him, in His presence. Like fish in water, so are we to be in Christ or in God. And that is the incredible thing I think about this psalm. When I studied this this week, this is the part that really jumped out to me personally the most is that this idea of God being with his people. The Lord is with me. Look, here's a quote for you. It goes like this. I think this is how we should say it best. As human beings, we were created to live in the divine presence. Our souls then are restless until they find rest in that presence. What we ultimately want is not more money, more cars, more stuff, more whatever, but instead, what we ultimately want is God himself. And when we have God, when we are in the water, when we are in him, then we find true joy and satisfaction and all the other good stuff too. 
So in other words, it's funny, you watch the commercials and if you listen to their line, they want you to believe, hey, if you just had this, you'd be happy. You know, get this, it'll fix your problem. Your car is not working, buy this new one. We'll finance it for you. You'll pay for it the rest of your life. It'll be great. (laughs) Come on, here we go. And then you'll be happy because you'll be enslaved to us and all this other stuff. But instead, God is saying to you, no, I don't want anything to own you other than me. And yes, I've provided some things for you. I've provided food for you to enjoy, to fill your stomachs and nourish your bodies. I've provided sun to warm you. I've provided air for you to breathe. I've provided other people for you to enjoy and perhaps even a spouse for you to relate to and be with and find harmony in. But ultimately, none of those things, not even your spouse, can fulfill your ultimate longing. But if you hold them to that standard and you expect perfection from them, you will never be satisfied. And they will always fall short. And you will always be disappointed. Well, I want them to be this. I want that, this to be like this. It's never going to be perfect. It's not going to work. All of this other stuff is broken, but there is only one thing that is not. And that is God. He is the only one who is absolutely perfect and complete in and of himself all the time, forever. And therefore, that is ultimately what you want. You want perfection. You want harmony. You want love. You want acceptance. You want joy. You want things to work. You want to be comforted. You want to be understood. You want to be encouraged. You want to be strengthened. You want God. What you want is God. All those other things, yes, they're helpful. They're nice little patches along the way, but they're not the thing itself. What you need is God. And that is why I think it's so beautiful as you watch the biblical revelation develop, what you see in what we call progressive revelation is God providing himself for his people. He's saying to them, the very best thing I can give you is me. I myself. God says that. What is the greatest thing I can give you? It's me. And so in the garden, what does he give them? Himself, his presence. Yeah, there's a lot of other good trees and stuff you can eat, but ultimately it's about being with God. Then when they're kicked out of the garden because they do their own stupid thing and cast in the wrong spot, the Lord makes a way and provides for them again. He gives them the tabernacle. And through the tabernacle, his presence goes with them. And then when he leads them into the promised land, he builds for them a temple and says, I will be with you here and you can approach me like this. And then their enemies come in when they ignore God. And again, they get exiled and they go out and the prophets come to them and they say, hey, don't worry. Messiah is coming and, and he will be a prince of peace. He'll be the Lamb of God and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then Jesus comes and Matthew says, here is Emmanuel. And then Jesus dies. He raises from the dead. He leaves and he sends the Holy Spirit to what? Be with us. And this whole time, what you see is the motif or fulfillment of God's presence. So that ultimately what we're looking forward to is the fulfillment of of God's presence in the future as well. So as the exiles who were alienated from Jerusalem were torn away from their promised land, were torn away from the temple, did not have, in a sense, God's presence, were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah so they go back to the Jerusalem to worship in the temple, so too are we, God's sheep in the New Testament, looking forward to the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21. Just as they were looking forward to dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, 
so too are we looking forward to dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And this is the beautiful presence of this psalm that God's presence moves with us. This is the whole movement of Scripture from beginning to end of God, the good shepherd, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, eternal God, wanting to be with his people. Why? For his name's sake. In other words, for his glory. Why does he do all this? For his glory. For his name's sake. To lift up his name, to establish his reputation throughout all the land. God wants to be with his people. So you look at these two phrases then and you say, what are they? We can clearly say from beginning to end, this psalm and in scripture, the Lord is with me, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is with me, the Lord is my shepherd. And I want to challenge you, you come into your next difficult situation, the first two words out of your mouth should not be, oh shoot, oh no! It should be, wait, the Lord is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Hmm. Lord's with me. The Lord's my shepherd. All right. Lord is with me. The Lord's my shepherd. Hey. The Lord is with me. The Lord's my shepherd. And there's the process you go through. And you walk down this path, and then when you begin to do that, I, I believe I can fully assure you everything is going to be all right. Because the Lord is with you, and the Lord is your shepherd. Now look, very clearly, I've said a lot of times, I'm not a health and wealth gospel, and I don't think this is either. Because the Lord prepares a table before you where? In presence of your enemies. What's it say? Oh, he does away with all your enemies, and life is going to be easy breezy, and you're just going to be worry and trouble free? No. You get to eat in the midst of them. <laughs> Congratulations, you're surrounded. <laughs> a table. Prepared before you in the presence of your enemies. But this is what also I think is so cool about this. If you ever go to a James Bond film or something like this, you see this guy walk into the room, you know, and he walks in and he orders whatever he's going to drink and he sits down. And all of a sudden he's surrounded by like 20 or 30 bad guys. And you are thinking, oh, this isn't going to go so well. And the bad guys are like, ha we got you now, right? And James Bond is sitting there just sipping on his martini or whatever and looking all calm and cool. And all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, the enemy's are like, we got you. What are you doing? And he's like, <laughs> you know, and whatever trap he had laid in advance is set. And then he dusts off his shirt, pays his tab and walks out of the room. You know? That's James Bond, man, because he's so cool. He can do that. And that's why you pay seven fifty to go see him and buy the T-shirt. And like, yeah, James Bond, <laughs> right? Ultimately, what you want is that confidence that you can walk into the presence of your enemies and not be afraid at all because you know there's some other backup plan that's going to deliver you from this. And that is essentially what God is saying. Is you think James Bond is cocky and self-assured. Man, can you be confident. If the Lord is with you, man, who are you going to be afraid of? Really? The Lord is with you. So you walk into that room and you're like, yeah, whatever, dude, we got this. <laughs> and people are like, are you kidding me? You think you got this? Not me. It's him, right? The Lord is with me. And all of a sudden they see this great big God standing right behind you and all of your enemies flee. Why? Because the Lord is with you. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. They're right there. 
You sit there and you sip and your cup overflows and you don't worry about it one little bit because the Lord is with you. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We're in a good spot. We're in a really good spot. You know, as we look forward to the future of our church, there are a number of questions and variables, budget this, this or that, or whoever, whatever. And we, we wonder, you know, Lord, what are you going to do? We're in the boat. We got the life preserver. We got the paddle. Hopefully you've got the oar, God, because we're following and it's on you. And we know that you're the shepherd and we know that you're guiding us and we don't know which way we're going to go, but we want to catch a lot of fish. God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? This last week, I sat in three different, well, they weren't all technically meetings, but I went to three different elders' events, three nights in a row, right? And it was, it was really neat because I think what I came away from was this, is this assurance, you know, seeing them in all these different situations. One, in a situation where there's, you know, big decisions to be na- made, feelings that are involved, alternate options, different views, and everybody, you know, in a secular selfish, non-Holy Spirit-driven world could have really got at each other. Other situations in fellowship and other situations in prayer and forward thinking. And in all these situations, what I came away from is, man, these are good guys. These are really godly guys. Because here are some people that, you know, I mean, they got a lot going on. They got real, real lives. They got real careers. They got stuff to do. And yet they're intentionally sacrificing themselves for the sake of the church. I don't think a single one of them has their own little agenda, but instead they're after the glory of God. We may be going about it differently and we may do things differently. We're kind of like the fellowship of the rings, right? We got hobbits, we got dwarves, we got elves and wizards and whatever, and I won't tell you who's who, okay? (laughs) We're all different and we do things differently. But ultimately the purpose is for the sake of the glory of God. And so we get on board and we get in this canoe and we say, okay, Lord, we're going to row. We're going to row as hard as we can, but we sure need you to steer. We pray that you help us to row together. God, lead us, guide us, be our shepherd. You are the covenant-keeping God of both the people in the Old Testament and the people in the New, of the nation of Israel, of the people of MEFC. God, you are that God. Keep us. Be with us. And if you are with us, we know that we'll be a success. And so MEFC, the thing I want to wish you today is this, is the same thing that Poppy wished to me. He said, hey, look, you know what? If the Lord is with you, I believe he is, then everything's going to be okay. Father, we thank you that you are with us. We're a church and we're full of people and we don't know where to go or what to do and only you do. You're good and you're the shepherd. We don't always get it right and we're kind of a mess and we make wrong moves, but we're thankful that you're willing to restore us. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you're a shepherd. And we praise you that you're good. And Lord, if those are all true, which we know they are, and we feel so confident and so assured that we can stand in the presence of our enemies and say everything's going to be okay. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stay.